Hello everyone. Welcome to our podcast called Coloring on Walls. I'm Nirali and today we are continuing our series of Roti Kapra Makan that is food, clothes and settlements. And we're talking about design fundamentals embodied in equities and how they serve us and if they appropriately cater to our needs or not. And in today's episode we will focus on the clothing aspect that is the kapra aspect of the series so i'm speaking to bhavya and uh, let's hear about her background first i am a textile designer uh, by training and i run a design practice here in jaipur where we upcycle textile waste and in the process of upcycling utilize crafts and knowledge indigenous to india and create new textiles and eventually clothing out of it yes so bhavya has this spectacular design <laughs> brand <laughs> which literally makes clothes from waste literally she makes clothes from waste so do check it out her uh, clothing brand on instagram and uh, yeah learn more about how you can be even more sustainable in your clothing so speaking of clothing and we're looking at since we're looking at through the lens of feminism mm. I wanted to ask Bhavya that how do clothing make space for women? I think clothing has this incredible power, right? And it's a very subtle power. We don't even sometimes realize it uh, that it is how we are using it because it is this powerful tool that communicates for us what we cannot communicate with our given bodies. So in that way it is the second skin, it is our chosen skin. And it then if for example I am going to appear in front of a jury or I'm going to appear for in an interview then I would want to reflect a certain personality aspect if I am going to be chilling out with my friends then I'm going to dress a certain way if I am going to go out on a date then I'm going to dress another way and that is how we utilize clothing in everyday as well when we randomly pick out something from our closets it's it's always not random we do if our mood is sort of in in a very you know low stage then we might put take out heavier colors um darker colors but if we are in a brighter mood we might take out brighter colors and also vice versa if we are in a heavier mood and we do want to feel lighter then we might take out that yellow top to wear and if i want to feel that extra confident i might take out that very stylish jacket to wear or if i want to feel a connection with my mother i might take out something of hers to wear and that empowers me and to know this relationship between you and your clothes is also something that makes us more conscious and in that way we all are all of us who are living on the planet earth we are part of the fashion value system nobody is isolated from it everybody is a contributor to the system hmm that's so true i agree that the clothes affect your mood and vice versa your mood affects clothes so much even if i like pick out my favorite black i mean i mostly wear black so even if i pick out my favorite black 
top and there is a favorite black top among several black tops i feel very very good about myself that day and you know there is a, like a sort of a skip in the step right. when you are right. the clothing affects you in a certain way so coming back to because it has such a profound effect on our psyche on our mm. physical body your mental state and emotional state i wanted to ask what are the like how in particular design of the clothing what are the aspects that have been considered or neglected when they're designed for um, women so this is going to be a long answer i am saying as if the previous one was not <laughs> but but so i'll have to go back in history because of what happened was there's a relationship between what you want to project as made clear in our earlier conversation and also then what as a society we value do we value wealth do we value material wealth then how how can we project that with clothing right so in earlier days when material wealth meant more consumption of food more fuller body more curvier body was in fashion was in trend coat and that's like and that's what you see on, on all these renaissance paintings is all these women and you know and they they would be that would be the desired body type and somebody wearing too many clothes with too many drapes going on with too much flow going on would be the object of admiration because we've always valued wealth in our society Mm-hmm. then eventually once we started getting into this whole you know industrialization and work becoming something that is of value a working person becoming something that is of value so our clothes started becoming mm-hmm. more oriented towards movement that can enable movement and that's where we see trousers for women coming in because they were literally like during world war was they were literally forced to go to work and that is where we also see a skirts becoming shorter it wasn't because of anything it wasn't because uh, they wanted to show more skin or they want it was just literally that there wasn't enough fabric so the seamstress had to sew shorter skirts and women had to sew shorter skirts for themselves and it also allowed more movement to them so that after that period we and this is from a very general point of view that i'm talking about and after that period we saw a lot of fitness becoming something that is of value right that mm-hmm. yeah, and so, uh, <laughs> and here comes your polyester and here comes your you know very body hugging clothes that show off that mm-hmm. body that you get after um, exercising and managing a certain diet and uh, spending money having that again money to spend on having that emotional mental and headspace and that wealth to spend on your exercise to spend on a diet of course want to show off that body that you've like spent so much money to get and so much of uh, your time and effort to get so to show off mm-hmm. that body came in all these polyester body hugging clothes so that also meant that a lot of your pants they had to lose pockets because pockets became obstruction in the in showcasing that perfect body and then mm-hmm. it just became about how can a woman show off her waist 
better how can she show her cleavage better what is that part of hers that she wants to highlight like that part of her body not part of her personality part of her body that she wants to highlight through a certain clothing and that became something mm-hmm. of priority and of course personality was still something involved but what was more important than something that is functional was something that makes makes sure that we are showing off that per- particular body and of course it also came from capitalism it also came from objectifying <laughs> a woman's body because mm-hmm. men had still have all the pockets they need on their clothes it wasn't that their clothing is being we are True. abandoning pockets True. for men it was yeah. more functional it, right for men they did go through that weird uh, low waist jeans era which frankly i never understood <laughs> but uh, that's the thing that fashion has always been about showcasing what we as a society value it is the mm. perfect barometer of our times so if at a particular time i want to know what was going on i would just look at the clothing that people were wearing and different people from the different economic status were wearing True. just to find out what was going on because in that way textiles are also this you know database of our history and of our culture that true. connect us with mm-hmm. intangibles that's so true so i mean like fashion is not only mm. for self expression but it's also yeah. a cultural expression of the whole society in general and that speaks so well like with like you said during the renaissance period you had robes and roads so your belt was more illustrated with opulence mm. in terms of layering and then later on during the fitness period your opulence was more illustrated through your fitness through your figure through your body physique and it's it projects so much fashion projects so much in it and also speaking of the skin fit yeah. era that we are still continuing to have that you know body hugging and nowadays i see people wearing latex as well so that that was what why i wanted to talk about that is it something that happened also because the manufacturing process or the process of designing and the weaving or constructing a cloth was sent to a centralized industrial production there was no conversation between the wearer or the consumer and the industrial producer Absolutely. because like we say not yeah. all women have the same body type right yeah. but when you industrialized like mass production came in place you created this mold that on a few selected database of a very right. uh, small database you created right. this mold and then you said that this is how the women body is and mass production of any type of clothing would be conforming to that body type which also limited the mm. self expression of a larger proportion of population like for me i remember when i was like in ninth grade or so you know that mm. time the jeans the skin fit jeans trend had mm. come yeah especially i remember because i come from a genetic line which have broader hips and uh, curvy bodies so i remember going to levi's or going to all these kind of stores to purchase what like the right. trend clothing that is the jeans and i remember right. like they didn't have that proportion at all they had only the skinny yeah i'm, I'm not saying that those are bad proportion but 
yeah, the skinny proportions. And then when I reflect back it on now, I realize, oh, so they were not body type inclusive then. I'm not sure they are now or not. I never went to Levi's again, but they were not. I And I saw the jeans. I'm like, oh, is jeans not meant for me? Yeah. For a very like a teenage, I was under the impression that, did I, am I fat? Because is this the body proportion that I'm supposed to be? Which but I see, can never attain. Yeah, that big industries want to do what happened to you. They want to shame people into fitting a certain mold, right? That is how uh, capitalism works, giving us more insecurities and then monetizing those insecurities. And absolutely, like mass production, because because you know first we had colonization and all these countries who are now developed country have looted and you know just destroyed certain civilizations on their way to become developed countries and when they did become developed countries and when they did start having this having these laws for basic that respect basic human dignity they realize that they no longer have cheap labor within their own structure they cannot you know have cheap, uh, have access to cheap labor mm-hmm. so they then exported yeah. their their sort of they exported their problems to us in the hope of export like they packaged it as that we are exporting work to you but they never exported their mm-hmm. good laws with it right if if you're so altruistic mm. or if you're so you know you value human dignity so much and you have become wealthy on the backs of the countries that you have looted so if and you are saying that you're exporting mm-hmm. so much of work to us why not also export these laws that protect basic human dignity that ensure a basic pay to a person a fair wage and and you know certain work hours and all of that and healthcare and healthcare is like not even something that Indians are discussing. <laughs> so 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 absolutely like I speak from a maker's point of view, but from an industry, from a customer point of view as well. What it did was it created more distance between that customer and the uh, person who's going to stitch those clothes for you. So suddenly when people were just buying and this is a this is a statistics from fashion revolution and I can pin the mm-hmm. exact article maybe in the description. So we went from buying and I might be wrong with the exact numbers here but we went from buying 12 cloth, mm-hmm. uh, pieces of clothing a year in 2002 to 70 pieces of clothing in 2013 and and that just means wow and and the article also said that it'll just keep on increasing and so that just meant Mm -hmm. that a clothing is becoming cheaper and cheaper because no uh since yes like there has been more money but not your average person is not making more money right economy isn't economy was not like us has faced this big recession during that time so economy was not booming it was Mm -hmm. more about that clothing was being made cheaper and cheaper by the day so 
and if i have to speak from a point mm-hmm. of view of the maker what uh, these brands would do who'd come from these uh, developed countries to developing countries like india vietnam bangladesh to get their clothing produced from us they'll come to us with a design that they've already made for uh, and it be you know it'll be that perfect mm-hmm. mold design that that'll make anybody who is not fitting in that mold and that'll be most people feel sh- ashamed about it right because they'll they'll publicize it in a way that you know this is the new but this is aspirational aspire to if you're not it then you're not normal to fit in this is so if you have to fit in this you're not normal you must become this right so they'll they'll bring this design to Correct. these manufacturing units in uh, developing countries and they'll say you know the other factory is giving me this for $4 uh, can you give it uh, to me for $3 so in that way manufacturing units yeah. uh, can never dictate their prices they are more price takers because in this way mm-hmm. this is how work is being created in developed countries and then it just becomes this competitive landscapes where everybody from top to the lowest of lowest like from the person who is going to quality check your garment from the person who is going to manage the production is trying to just cut corners every day mm-hmm. just to fit, fit into that 3 dollar price tag that has been provided to them but in that 3 dollars what they have to do is they have to source the fabrics they have to dye it they have to print on it they have to cut it they have to stitch it it needs to go through several quality checks and i'm not even counting on the fact that it needs to be farmed first it needs to go in the mill then then so at least 20 hands touch it before it reaches to the developed country and for for those 20 hands we just have 3.5 dollars wow wow minimum and, wage standards have yeah, gone in the trash in the fashion industry scene every day more and the more i am attached with the fashion industry mm-hmm. the more I learn about uh, it and the more disgusted I become uh, with it. So is this the fast fashion genre of the industry are we talking about? We often say fast fashion is doing this, but luxury fashion, which is also getting its, its work mm-hmm. uh, you know, made in India, is also doing this. They are also cutting corners ah, uh, because they are also in competition with each other. So um, they too are following these practices and they would, you know, often have these very delicate embroideries to be made, which would be made in the slums of Mumbai, where like children would be uh, forced to oh, make them from like, they would like get up and working on it at 7 a.m. and will be, you know, sewing those very delicate French knots, which by by the way, some governments have banned their people to do because they cause bad eyesight. They would be making those French not uh, work okay. till like yeah. the night. Right. And uh, for them, the kids, they don't even have like proper lighting equipment to carry out their work, even if they are dependent economically on it. So how are these practices being carried out? Are there any regulations to it? Why aren't they being uh, resolved yet? There isn't regulation in the fashion industry. You can't expect Mm -hmm. brands to conduct a certain regulation. You can't expect the factories to conduct a a certain regulation. This regulation needs to come from the government. This regulation needs to be in a code of law Mm -hmm. and 
uh, in the countries where it is there are those developed countries where the, that labor is uh, not cheap enough. So as consumers, what can we do about the process of clothing making? I mean, how can we have, what power do we have in this process? How can we color our walls? I've been attached with Fashion Revolution. It's a global movement. It, it is spearheaded by Orsla de Castro and Kerry Summers. Both of them were upcyclers, designers based in uh, London. And Orsla de Castro is obviously known as the queen of upcycling. But basically, when the Rana Plaza disaster happened in Bangladesh, which ended up killing 1,200 people just because that factory was cutting corners that factory was um, not investing in you know mm -hmm. proper um, infrastructure and that factory collapsed because it, it didn't have the money wow. to invest in proper infrastructure and it was working for you know the best labels that we consume every day of fashion and so that nobody nobody should be dying making clothes that's like a nightmare right because we celebrate clothing is yeah. celebrated so much we buy new clothes whenever like it's a good thing is happening in our lives yeah to see that the underlying uh, consequences for the makers and the lifestyle and the wages and the exploitation <laughs> i am beginning confused what, now about that, the therapeutic experience the <laughs> again is this capitalistic fundamental right that the more you buy the more your better your mental state is mm -hmm. whereas True. yeah it's the yeah. instant so, gratification thing for you like you go by and yeah. be happy for a it's, few it's like seconds media, or something right? uh, uh, you can distract yourself from all those uh, likes <laughs> but you you have to at some point go and solve the troubles that are causing you real pain but that's another conversation yeah. speaking of fashion revolution so it became this movement it became they started at london and now they have offices in 150 countries and it's it's a movement that advocates transparency in fashion because the first leg of circular design circular fashion is transparency if we cannot be transparent of about mm -hmm. who is making our clothes and what is going in our clothes what is the percentage of polyester what is the percentage of uh, cotton and can it uh, be recycled because often also blended fibers cannot be recycled so often these brands sell you know 30 percent cotton 70 percent polyester as a more sustainable option but it cannot oh, be yeah. recycled yes um, yes yes because there so is then how are they allowed to label it as sustainable there isn't regulation and oh that my is god this mind revelation movements are trying to do is to you know and what it has done is it has forced a lot of companies to self-regulate but on that we can't depend too much we need which yeah. is why we need to keep on voicing this we need to keep on asking as customers who has made our clothes and Correct. how are they made 
please become more aware of what you're consuming and become, yeah. and take a step towards responsible consumerism because that is Absolutely. our power and, and that's um, how we uh, color uh, the world even just asking this question that who made my clothes is enough like if you put out that post on instagram with your uh, whatever t-shirt <laughs> you're wearing and it has that label of the brand you tag that brand and you just write who made my clothes that is enough that is one step one more person saying that it is important for me to know that the person who's made this clo- uh, uh, garment for me is living a life of dignity so it's about finding quality not just in the clothes yes. that you wear but also in the people who make those clothes again it's also about you know yeah. this like shattering this pyramid structure of designing community that only the person at the top or the label or the brand gets to be known as the right. designer the main creator but that's not the whole story there are like hundreds of Absolutely. hands and teamwork that goes behind creating a product any kind of product so we want those people also be to be highlighted if you look at a phone or a mac or a laptop or anything you know there's a guy who's going to design the ui ux experience you know there's a women who's going to design the tech behind it the hardware software there are multiple people involved in it we know that and it goes similarly for clothing as well there's so many people like bhavya said there are 20 people at least who get involved in the process before the clothing reaches and the market so we want to know about those people and what is it being sold at 12 dollars how is how is it fair to anybody in, within the system and most of it is being taken up by the yeah. ceo of that company and because in the system we okay. share our losses but not our profits and it's right. also speaking about the responsible consumerism part i know we are trying to say that this amount which is it as priced that it's not sustainable for the whole production line people who are actually hands on with it it's not sustainable for them so if we do are saying that the pricing needs to be incorporating for the whole production line some may argue that are you talking about then increasing the price of the garment then how would the consumer from the consumer perspective it seems a little like and like and i'm not up for it that- right now within the fast fashion system there's a term called design for obsolescence so it is designed in a way that it'll be obsolete within two or three years seams will start ripping off the dyes will start fading so you might as it's well save up and invest day. in mm-hmm. a piece of in one piece of garment instead of buying 10 pieces of garment and have that serve you longer and something that is uniquely yours uh something that you come to love because your garments at the end of the day are talking about your values it is your chosen skin so whatever you choose to wear reflects your values so if you are going to wear something that is you know made in a certain manner that means that you are valuing that but if you choose to wear something that is made in a more equitable system then you then you are saying with your clothes that you value equity yeah correct it's again a form of expression right so what are you expressing are you expressing values or not and you're expressing responsible consumerism or not and speaking also about the fast consumption on our hands 
let us talk about the environmental Masculine impact that it has. has i mean it's all tied up within feminism is not something that is in isolation when we talk about fashion because patriarchal mm-hmm. norms are being propagated by fashion but it is being done on the back of uh, this massive production chain that we spoke about and this massive production chain is also uh, costing a lot to the environment and this cost is also not shown on the clothing because nowhere right now do we have an environmental tax right so uh, polyester right now is cheaper than cotton so you can go and buy something that's made in the most obscene of ways in the most exploited of ways in in a way that is harming the environment so much and you might be just paying the cheapest amount of price for it right now because there isn't any regulation yeah right. but you also have to realize that right now you're right. paying the cheapest price but it may end costing you so much and it is and costing us so much environmentally climatically Oof. look at everything it is costing us in the long term so i think the key word is the investment you invest in, in your clothes in a way you invest in your yeah. self so you invest very wisely on buying even 12 clothes a year six clothes a year I or like have, yeah. not 70 even two clothes a year you really invest in it you really in respect the designer you really respect the maker and you respect yourself Absolutely. and the environment and with it so uh, there's always been an intersectionality of if we are picking on patriarchy then we are also somewhere talking about the climate crisis and i feel that's a major Correct. Um, thing that you know it's not visible maybe as much right now but it is it is something that is also a big result of a, a world run by men to just benefit themselves yes because you know mm. speaking of patriarchy the concept of man versus nature and the man or the male actors at that point of time never considered themselves to be a part of the nature nature was always looked through the eyes of exploitation that is also like layering on people who yeah. were not of your same race who looked for exploitation countries yeah. or resources who were not from your origin will look for exploitation that's why the colonization the whole capitalism system came in that you go to some other place you exploit the resources the labor the culture and then you loot everything and then you come back yeah. to your country which you preserve conserve and you know post and, and, and you like publish publicize uh, it as the most ethical jeans, um it's about 19000 liters of water to produce and that is not water going in from the developed country that is the water going in from the developing countries and we are already we do not have the systems to manage climate crisis whereas developed countries do so it becomes all the more important for the developed countries to sort of lead here because they've managed to develop these systems that would you know steer them through a crisis but if you are saying that you're exporting work then you need to export a database of the system as well and you need to export the urgency why we need uh, systems to combat climate crisis cotton just 1 kg of cotton takes uh, about 20000 liters of water and we've had indigenous cotton in india which takes no water to produce 
and we've had 176 types of indigenous cotton in india but because we had colonization and the british could just spin uh, a certain kind of cotton so they rejected those 176 kinds of quality of cotton and there was an influx of this western style of cotton which ruined our land which consumed so much water which infested our lands with weeds and so and then we had to sort of look at pesticides as a as something that's that's solution to this and pesticides again uh, they are like drugs for the land the land becomes dependent on pesticides so it's a direct legacy of colonization that we are not utilizing the environmentally collaborative solutions that already exist so it's very interesting to know how the colonization not only affected the culture but also affected the garment producing industry i mean if we had these sustainable the the sustainable or environmental friendly species of cotton they were neglected and rejected and that that lead to not only the harm of environment but also led to loss of the cultural aspect of it so another question that i want to ask you is that in history of india through our indigenous practices what were the more gender inclusive garment making or any kind of garment which was uh, so called like didn't produce much waste or zero waste do you have an example like that yeah i mean indian lexicon of uh, garments is thriving with examples of zero waste garments sari of course being the prime example where the way it is woven then the way it is draped it produces no waste and if you go to the villages of india you'll still see different costumes such as kedia lehenga choli and even petticoat blouse all of these are made in a way that that produces no waste and that is also produced locally and that reflects individuality of a person because they are con- they are contacting the crafts person to make their garments right so they could have their fit to their measurements and yeah. the second thing being certain textile crafts reflect certain community certain aspects of certain community so there's this example of this research i did which was on the farad skirt that is you know made in this craft cluster uh, of akola it's a village in between chittorgarh and udaipur in in india and this for this particular skirt they dye their fabric in natural glue so what it does oh. is that it makes fabric really strong and this is made for women of a community jat and meena community these women really their work profile is that they would go to the forest to collect various natural materials so if they go to the mm. forest wearing a skirt um that is susceptible to twigs piercing their skirts and ruining their skirts easily 
then mm-hmm. it's then they would not have something strong to wear at work right but these skirts mm-hmm. because twigs don't affect them they act as anti bacteria of sorts where like like they wouldn't get ill wearing it and oh so it has antibacterial qualities as yeah, well as the dye the dye has because all of these are made from certain natural dyes and so this is a practice that is still prevailing there over there and mm-hmm. i had to go there to research it but it is a languishing craft again because we are not paying attention we 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 I are see. in this mindset that west knows best so we <laughs> forget what we have and this is actually a really good uh, knowledge to have that we can design fabrics in a way that is not susceptible to you know getting torn off not getting obsolete yeah. and these skirts mm-hmm. would serve these women for at least 12 years for their workwear yeah. and then they would you know have different things made during what they'll wear for a wedding what they'll wear for uh, uh, mm-hmm. um diwali and things like that but that's that i think is a very good example of how in indigenous knowledge and indigenous practices this sensitivity towards designing responsibly already existed mm-hmm. and it existed in a way that provided more mobility to uh, a working woman it provided more accessibility durability, durability yeah. and uh, even antibacterial uh, properties that would lead to a better health yes well that's very interesting to know that indigenous practices has such a close relationship between the maker and the consumer it was such a personal right. experience to you know get anything that perfectly suits you perfectly fits your body in whichever way you want it to speaking of sari it is it's been on my like it's be, it's such a like a interesting garment in itself that you can mm. drape in so many ways every culture has its own way of draping See, it in, in but india we we are so diverse we diverse. we yeah. rarely have anything in common between our two cities let alone two states true, but one true. thing you will find anywhere you go in india is the sari and the way it yes. is draped is different everywhere but anywhere you go you'll find the sari sari is is like such a diversified yeah. and adaptable garment for women and not only speaking of different cultures even in my house coming from a personal story my mom has worn sari from her teen years i've never seen her wearing like western clothing she always dons the sari and the way she dons it i mean i don't know because i've been seeing it since my formative years but i always tell my mother like whenever we are in a crowd or when i was young we were going to a market or somewhere just me and my mom and if i am separated from her i can easily identify my mom anywhere because of the sari that she wore she it's such mm. a distinct way personalize it so much right. that it became yeah. like a part of my mom's identity in my That's mind beautiful. so That's even if beautiful. today i go anywhere and i have to spot my yeah. mom i look yeah. out for a sari and i know the way she has dabled that's my mother <laughs> i have a to- completely different experience with it because for my mom it became a symbol of domestication sari mm. so mm. she for her western clothing became something that is 
reflective of her independent thinking and this is coming from second wave of feminism right 60s 70s so uh, she was the second wave feminist so for her she had to reject these indian symbols because they reflected domestication and a certain gender role to say that you know i'm a working woman and when she you know see whenever she saw me romanticize a sari or whenever she also you know had to actively reject crafts like knitting crochet and yeah. whereas yeah. for me those were crafts to tell my own story mm. so whenever she saw me knitting and you know i would be learning how to knit in my design school she's like you are mm. we are paying you to learn knitting and knitting used to be a symbol of domestication <laughs> yeah <laughs> ियंस like down their throats so yeah her, i think it's, it's like a i mean i think it's a polar story yeah. between you mother your mother and you and between my mother and i <laughs> like for me for me i come more from your mom's perspective like i disregarded sari and my mom embraced it like you embrace uh the knitting crochet, and you know sari <laughs> crochet craft so we had we had much of a complementary yeah. relationships with our mother <laughs> so the main the strongest point between both the stories and the best part of the both the stories is that both of our mothers didn't carry their own yeah. principles and in their own ideologies and pushed it on us as the next generation of women they allowed us enough space and enough freedom to develop our own thoughts to develop our own ideologies and self expression so that was their way of you know conveying or instilling feminism mm. since the childhood that something that didn't fit into their like understanding understanding but they didn't imply it on us that like you have to be like that you have to be like this to be the perfect women there was no concept of yeah. anything like that you could be whatever you wanted to be so yes uh, bhavya thank you so much i learned so much about how fashion is uh, tied to our lives how it was developed how it's made and its consequences on both humanity and the environment and it's been a, like a re- revelation to me that every government has a story which is not being told and a lot of people are being you know swept under the rugs and only the top cream layer comes out and t- portrays this very flashy picture come mm. out with seasonal clothing that you have to buy to aspire to be the perfect model of humans that they are advertising so thank you for this conversation but the best thing is that we get to have this conversation there is a space to have this conversation yeah. and thank you for that because otherwise you are always sleeping with the uneasy thought that are these things only troubling me and you know just one other person but after this conversation i feel more relaxed 
I feel more energized and yeah. I feel that that this is great that we are all like coming on the same page about issues that should be important to us as humans and who have to live on earth and also about the information that should be accessible to us but it's not and therefore we are not being made more aware of our choices mm. so when we are aware of our choices i think it also leads to becoming better human beings and a better lifestyle yeah. a more like conscious lifestyle that we all aspire to so thank you for <laughs> it's a thank you group <laughs> so yeah. i think we keep continuing with thank yous forever and ever <laughs> so let's stop this thank you thing and any listeners have any comments feedbacks or questions or want to get involved with us please do and you can write to us on our email address and connect to us on our instagram both the links are in the description and we would love to hear what you think about your clothes and uh, come color walls with us yeah definitely <laughs>